So, topic uh, for today's uh, Dhamma talk is nothing less than Nibbana. Qualities of uh, Nibbana and uh, then on top of this even more, namely uh, qualities uh, of uh, stream entrance definition and qualities of uh, stream entry and then um, if we have time, we can also look at uh, uh, well the certain ways of verifying whether one has or has not uh, gained uh, the Dhamma. Now, what we've uh, done you know, so far, we've discussed uh, you know, various aspects uh, you know, that uh, are connected, aspects that concern the meditation practice, and so that guidelines and instructions that are given in the Satipatthana Sutta. And once in a while we have also discussed in various aspects of wisdom itself. And we have not too long ago discussed the knowledge of reobservation and uh, furthermore, you know, the knowledge of equanimity about uh, you know, formations. And uh, uh, then um, yesterday, uh, the topic uh, was uh, on uh, the four noble truths. Now, these four noble truths are um, very much connected with the experience or the realization of uh, nibbana, when there is a realization of the nibba of nibbana, then with this comes an intuitive understanding of uh, the four noble truths. Now, the four noble truths, uh, you know, we have uh, some, at least a theoretical understanding about them. And however, you know, the understanding of uh, what Nibbana is, act, what, what it actually is, is somewhat uh, even more you know, difficult, more you know, challenging. Now, in a common you know, definition, as given in the Samyutta Nikaya 38, Satna, the first Satna discourse, it gets Satna defined in the following words, namely, you know, destruction of greed, destruction of hatred, destruction of uh, delusion. This is uh, called Nibbana. And so here then, you know, the aspect is on the destruction of uh, you know, certain you know, mental defilements, in particular, you know, the roots of, un, of all unwholesomeness. Now, some commentaries trace uh, you know, the you know, meaning of uh, Nibbana you know, to... You know, they explain the word Nibbana as a combination of Ni and Wana. And you know, this then, Wana meaning you know, craving or weaving. And hence then, you know, this is you know, taken to be a freedom from craving or you know, desire. And 
Yet another you know, explanation that is being offered for Nibbana is as follows, namely Ni and then the root Wa. And here um, Wa stands for um, blowing. And thus um, to cease blowing or to become extinguished. So literally extinction and and then the combination of ni and uh, the root wa uh, then is taken you know, to you know, be you know, the extinction of a fire or you know, cooling. So in in a figurative way, you know, this is a description for you know, Nibbana. Now, in the an interesting statement on Nibbana can be found in the Majjhima Nikaya, volume 1, you know, paragraph 38, or section 38, where you know, the following words are mentioned. There is an escape from this whole field of uh, perception. And the commentary to uh, the middle-length discourses of the Buddha explain this escape from the whole field of of, of, perception to be nothing other than Nibbana, or in other words, uh, the cessation of uh, suffering. And uh, here, clearly in the original uh, statement, there is mention of uh, escape from the field of uh, perception. So not perceiving anymore, no longer seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and uh, knowing or thinking. Now, the commentary, another commentary says, it is Nibbana that is called uh, the cessation of uh, the six sense bases, for in Nibbana, the eye, the ear, and the nose, etc., sees, and perceptions of forms, of sounds, and uh, and so on, fade away. Now, these are just a few definitions uh, in respect uh, to Nibbana. Now, Nibbana has been praised to be the as Venerable Narada Terra says to be the summum bonum of Buddhism, and the summum bonum means what? The best, the best of the best, and and Nibbana itself is also referred to as an an ultimate reality. Now, there are four ultimate realities that the Abhidhamma speaks of, and the first one consists in materiality. You cannot reduce that any further. And then the next one consists of the... Mental formations, the so-called chetasika, so mental factors, and so, you know, then the next ultimate reality 
is certainly given as consciousness, various kinds of consciousness, and as number four, Nibbana. And so there's a difference. You know, we can make a difference between you know, the first or three and so, you know, the last one, namely you know, Nibbana. So what's the difference? Uh, yes, and so now the last one is said to be unconditioned, or the first of three are accessible you know, through ordinary sense sphere consciousness. We can, you know, we are aware of them uh, you know, during our waking hours, you know, whereas nibbana under normal circumstances is not readily uh, accessible. Now, nibbana belongs to a different category. Ordinary experiences like materiality and so on belong to what is known the mundane, mundane world, mundane experiences, whereas Nibbana pertains to the supramundane, Lokotradhamma in uh, the Pali scriptural language. And what do you think? Uh, Can we understand and access Nibbana by reading there may be plenty of boom by going to uh, here the library or BCBS library and reading up uh, uh, all the books on Nibbana will this do? Uh, this will not do the job and so uh, what about uh, hearing plenty of Dhamma talks on Nibbana? Uh, this will not uh, get you much closer either However, Nibbana then becomes accessible you know, through intuitive wisdom. And uh, this is the reason why we are here. And so in the course of uh, you know, the meditation practice, uh, we you know, develop this intuitive wisdom in the form of the insight knowledges, you know, starting from, you know, from scratch all the way up to rather refined levels of intuitive uh, wisdom. And, and as we go through the different insight uh, knowledges, you know, gradually we're preparing the ground you know, for you know, the you know, realization of uh, Nibbana. And the work that we, the preliminary or preparatory work that we have to undergo you know, consists in you know, clearly you know, discerning between materiality and mentality, so nama rupa, you know, which you know, then you know, forms the essence of the first insight knowledge. As we then you know, continue with our meditation practice, we will understand that certain formations are linked by way of cause and effect. So things are not happening in a causeless manner, in a haphazard manner. And then with further practice, a meditator will understand that all conditioned phenomena share three characteristics, so three universal characteristics, and those are the characteristics of impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, and of the lack of a self, namely anicca, dukkha, and anatta. And then when we continue with our meditation practice and we just observe whatever predominant object arises, we will come across a face in the meditation 
you know, that is marked uh, by the arising of a number of, uh, well, rather intriguing um, and inspiring mental states uh, in the form or which come under the name of uh, the ten imperfections of uh, insight. And so these uh, then cover experiences uh, such as uh, seeing bright lights, uh, illuminations of various forms of illumination. Uh, Then a meditator uh, might experience a very sharp and uh, keen and unerring and incisive form of knowledge, jnana. A meditator may furthermore uh, uh, come across what is known as uh, Dhamma delight, consisting of joy and rapture, further consisting of uh, tranquility, and uh, also consisting of uh, happiness. And then there are a number of others that uh, also arise, uh, including equanimity, upeka. Now, when these mental states are present, one likes to hold on to them, one likes to crave or one tends to crave for them, wanting to experience them over and over again. Now, at this point in practice, the meditator has to be very careful not to get sidetracked by these imperfections, but rather to remember, namely, simply to be mindful of whatever occurs, including these imperfections. And now then, um, shortly after this, a meditator will realize how formations occur, physical and mental formations occur, and disappear, so appear and disappear at great speed, one after the other in a linear fashion. And the amazing thing is that the mindfulness is sharp enough and quick enough to cope with what is happening in the body or and or the mind. Now, earlier on, the flow of events and the operational speed of the mind were much, much slower. Now, um, after some practice and having gained some skills in the meditation, uh, things change significantly. And then... um, so, or and so during this phase, the meditator really thinks you know, that he or she is you know, doing fabulous uh, practice. One feels quite uh, contented uh, with one's uh, meditation, and so, you know, this may go on for a day or two, and then comes what? Who knows? Ah, then comes the crash. <laughs> yes, indeed. Then comes the crash, and then comes the great disappointment. <laughs> and so, so previously, objects uh, were you know, seen you know, as uh, so clear, the perception of objects uh, was so clear, at times even crystal clear, and now... You no know, one you know, gets frustrated you know, with, or now you know, one you know, witnesses how you know, formations turn into you know, well you know, foggy, you know, obscured, you know, blurred uh, physical and mental phenomena. 
So this then no longer feels like, uh, from a subjective point of view, no longer feels like uh, good practice. And so oftentimes, for, at least for a few hours, the meditators tend to despair a little bit over what is happening in the meditation. And it is at this point that a meditation guide or teacher is really helpful to explain what's happening and to push the meditators on. And, so, and then... Um, so a meditator then will go on to observe you know, the dissolution of you know, formations. And actually, you know, during this next phase, you know, or during this particular phase, you know, again, the mind undergoes a, you know, undergoes a, you know, it's a unique development. Namely, at first, it will see just a few objects dissolving within one sitting. But gradually it becomes more and more skilled at seeing objects dissolving one after the other. And so you know, oftentimes, or gradually, um, more and more quickly, to an extent where finally you know, meditators certainly frequently say, you know, well, it seems like all objects or all objects are all objects that attention turns to are seen as certain dissolving. And so when this particular insight knowledge then has aged, so to speak, or matured, then it will automatically lead on to the next phase in one's meditation, which is characterized by a sudden arising of some you know, fright. Uh, but you know, this is uh, nothing you know, to be you know, taken you know, seriously. It's just uh, you know, part of the meditation practice. And you know, it is known as uh, a Dhamma, uh, Dhamma fright. And so then as the meditation goes on, the meditator you know, will you know, then uh, see formations in a, again in a different way and uh, they lose their attraction and uh, one will be uh, one will adhere uh, less to these certain same formations owing to uh, attachment so meditators detach you know, to from the objects to some extent um, as one then goes on, one continues to see formations in a different light, in a, uh, seeing their flaws and uh, uh, becoming very uh, clearly aware of their disadvantages. So with this, one is no longer swayed by the so-called advantages or benefits of ordinary formations, but no one sees them in a different light. And having or undergoing this process of increasing disillusionment with formations, sooner or later one gets to the point where one then thinks, well, enough of all of this. And so then let me get out of this. And so this then marks yet another important phase in one's meditation practice. 
And then um, shortly after this, meditators will then re-observe the entire um, range of uh, physical as well as mental formations. Whatever has come up so far in terms of major experiences is likely to come up again and one will revisit, so to speak, the three universal characteristics and the four primary elements will come up for reobservation and the whole range of pains and aches will be there to be well experienced again and the same thing can be said of mental states in particular certain set of unwholesome mental states which come in the form of the five hindrances. Now, unfortunately, these don't last forever, and eventually they subside in the presence of mindfulness, and then get substituted by wholesome mental states. And gradually, the mind goes more and more towards those wholesome mental states. And at first they are somewhat weak, and gradually they get stronger, and some, a major you know, development consists in uh, equanimity itself, the development of equanimity. So this equanimity at first is certainly some kind of like uh, on and off. Sometimes it's present and other times it's not present. And so, as one keeps on practicing, gradually it gets uh, stronger. And so, to a point when you know, one you know, then... Um, develop or, or uh, experiences equanimity towards all formations. And this then uh, uh, is the best and uh, the most important preparation uh, for uh, what uh, has to uh, come next, namely the realization of uh, Nibbana. So all of this is just to uh, show you how uh, the uh, realization of Nibbana is connected with intuitive wisdom and uh, how we need to undergo a certain uh, process of training which, when, which will then lead to the unfolding of certain um, forms of intuitive wisdom and uh, this uh, then in the end uh, gets uh, uh, well uh, marked by uh, or, or well, yeah, the end yeah, then consists in yeah, the experience of Nibbana itself. Now, the texts uh, uh, define Nibbana in the following way, namely by saying that its certain characteristic is uh, that of peace, its function is that of deathlessness, and its manifestation is as signlessness. And so, in particular, well, Nibbana is peace. This can be explained right, right here. Uh, namely, the presence of the presence of rising of formations is um, in the end. When in the end, when we meditate for some time, is really a form of uh, suffering, and it's not peaceful at all. 
but the very absence, the very non-arising of those same you know, conditioned you know, formations marks uh, uh, or is uh, very peaceful, and therefore you know, the characteristic of uh, Nibbana is given as peace. But it's a different you know, form of uh, peace, different from ordinary mundane uh, peace. And then, as for its uh, manifestation as signlessness, uh, well, um, Nibbana cannot be experienced nor described in terms of ordinary signs, in terms of ordinary concepts. So, do you think that uh, Nibbana is uh, thin or thick? Huh? <laughs> or neither of the two. <laughs> well, if it's um, if you don't quite know whether it's uh, thin or thick, maybe uh, maybe you have an answer. Is it uh, you know, bluish or reddish <laughs> or whitish? Or uh, uh, white stands for purity, so maybe nibbana you know, that has the color of white to it. Huh? <laughs> you are or not convinced. You're not convinced. Hey, good. Okay. Yeah, so I agree. I'm just tasting. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, then uh, what's uh, your notion uh, for Nibbana in terms of uh, shape or form? Uh, does it come in a round shape or uh, maybe a rectangular shape? Can we box it somewhere? Uh, so... Uh, not even this is uh, possible. So Nibbana is true to its super mundane nature, different from everything that we usually relate to. So it's very different from ordinary mundane experience. And in it actually, or the very fact that it is neither thin nor fat, nor blue, nor red, nor white, nor round or rectangular or of a triangle shape, this, for this very fact, it is said to be or to manifest as signlessness, lacking a sign. It simply cannot be grasped by signs that normally we use so much in our uh, day-to-day life. Now, there are many qualities uh, that are being attributed to Nibbana, and we cannot cover all of them tonight, but at least certain a few will be mentioned. Now, um, Nibbana is different from ordinary formations. Ordinary formations, as we've seen, are uh, impermanent. But in the case of Nibbana, it is said to be eternal. Duwa in, is the Pani term for it. And so, then, as all of you will know by now, or almost all, the ordinary formations are said to be or are clearly unsatisfactory in nature, but this does not uh, hold true for Nibbana, which is said to, uh, to be desirable. 
And um, um, furthermore, it uh, is also said you know, to be you know, a form of uh, sukha, of happiness. Uh, therefore, you know, the expression of you know, uh, shanti or santi sukha, namely you know, the, um, the happiness of uh, peace. Now, with ordinary mundane you know, formations, we you know, know that they all arise and so, so they have a beginning, and then they last for a while, so they have a middle, and then you know, they all you know, either fade away or you know, you know, disappear. So they all have an ending. So genesis is there, and then occurrence is there, and so, you know, then an ending is there, or death is so, you know, there. Now, this is quite so, you know, this is a common experience. When it comes to Nibbana, things are again different. And uh, the amazing thing is that there's no beginning to Nibbana, there's no middle to it, uh, there's no end to it. Nibbana just is. And um, whoever has prepared uh, you know, the mind in a you know, proper way you know, will be able to access Nibbana, but who hasn't done you know, this won't be able you know, to access it, access it. Now, since Nibbana has no beginning, no middle, and no uh, ending, it is said you know, to be birthless ajata in Pali and decayless ajara, and then furthermore, deathless amata. Now, a characteristic of our ordinary sense-stored you know, perceptions is uh, that you know, we can feel them. Those are, you know, uh, as the expression you know, is or, or goes, now, those are sensate certain experiences. So when we see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we touch, you know, we think, you know, then uh, those are experiences that involve you know, the senses, the five sense doors. When it comes to Nibbana, as uh, in you know, the other cases, again, things are different, and uh, Nibbana it, is certainly said you know, to be a non-sensate uh, 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 phenomenon. And on one occasion, Elder Sariputta was teaching uh, a group of uh, monastics, and so, you know, the topic apparently was Nibbana, and so, you know, then Elder Sariputta pointed out its peaceful you know, nature, and so, uh, you know, and then one of the students stood up and asked, well, why, what is so special about Nibbana, or why is it so peaceful if it's a non-sensate experience? And the answer, so if there's nothing to enjoy there, and the answer given by Elder Sariputta was the very absence of sense impressions is what makes it so peaceful. Now, this you know, particular aspect of Nibbana, we can you know, understand, all, or we do understand only you know, when we 
uh, have an experience of Nibbana itself. As long as we don't have this certain experience, then it's just certainly not certain, uh, uh, accessible. It's, not, uh, it's difficult at least to imagine how you know, this could be you know, a world without certain sense uh, impressions. So then arises a question. And then certain in one text that was brought up, namely, if Nibbana is said to be a non-sensate experience, well, how lucky are the blind and the deaf? They don't see anything, they don't hear anything, and certainly so they then must be very close to Nibbana. So all we, if we need, to, if we want to experience nibbana, all we need to do is to be blind and deaf, and then we're close to it. Is this the way to go? <laughs> Did you come for this to the forest refuge? <laughs> Obviously not. And so, uh, so you know, the you know, the fact that we can see and the fact that we can't hear is not necessarily uh, a preparation or not necessarily a reason that we are close to the experience of uh, Nibbana. So even uh, a blind person or a blind and deaf person needs to prepare the ground through through being well-established in sila, developing concentration, and in particular, developing the mind, bhavana. Now, since there are no sensate experiences in Nibbāna, could we could we say that nibbana is the same thing as nothingness? What's your answer to this? No, huh? no? it's correct. So it's not the same thing as nothingness. And so what about then? Since there are no no sense experiences in. In Nibbana, then would it be you know, correct to assume that it simply is non-existent? Yeah. <laughs> this one neither. Okay, and so, however, Nibbana being neither nothingness nor non-existence, uh, yet it is a reality, just a separate, a different type of uh, reality, and so, for our ordinary. Experience of uh, the world, we very much are based on, or we very much need the four primary elements. So the earth element, and then the wind element, the temperature element, or fire element, and then the water element. So the body is composed of those four elements, and they come together in different combinations. Now, um, since Nibbāna is said to be, well, an ongoing state, it's deathless, um, then can we assume that it is maybe composed of the four primary elements to give it some solidity? Yes? No? Nope. Good. 
uh, is great. So in Nibbana, you know, there are simply just no four primary elements. And so then, now comes a tricky, a tricky point. Namely, um, can we attribute a location to Nibbana? Can we say Nibbana exists uh, here at the forest refuge in Barrie and uh, possibly also over at the retreat center and maybe a few other meditation centers in this country and that's it. No other, and uh, it doesn't exist in other places. Can we say it like this? Uh, Nope. So this is another no-no. And since there is no location to Nibbana, it just goes beyond, it transcends this concept of a a location. There is no uh, going, there's no going into this Nibbana, or there's no no arising of it, no, no dissolution of it, and no going on of it, no, no continuance of it in the normal sense. Now, A further explanation for the peacefulness of Nibbana is, well, given as Dukkha Kaya. Kaya stands for destruction and Dukkha is suffering. And so ordinary human experience is characterized by unsatisfactoriness, as uh, we've discussed uh, recently, formations, condition formations are unsatisfactory, yet there is a place you know, that is free from unsatisfactoriness or from dukkha, and this is uh, Nibbana. And this end or destruction of uh, you know, unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, uh, this is uh, so peaceful. Now, when it comes to Nibbana and an Arahant, then the following can be said about an Arahant's virtue. And I'm quoting from Majjhima Nikaya, volume 1, uh, section 523, where it says, Sandaka, this is a particular uh, name, when a bhikkhu is an arahant with taints destroyed and is completely liberated through final knowledge, he he is incapable of transgression in five cases. A bhikkhu whose taints are destroyed, is incapable of deliberately depriving a living being of life. He's incapable of taking what is not given 
and that is of stealing. He is incapable of indulging in sexual intercourse. He is incapable of knowingly speaking falsehood, and he is incapable of enjoying sensual pleasures by storing them up, as the person might have done during the lay life. When a bhikkhu is an arahant with taints destroyed, then he is incapable of transgression in in these five cases. Naturally, this also goes for the bhikkhunis and for lay meditators. So what comes with the experience of Nibbana in its ultimate form, namely an arahantship, is... Uh, well, perfection of uh, purity. But there's more to be said on this. Now, a person who has uh, crossed over for the first time from the ordinary mundane consciousness to the supermundane consciousness is said to have changed lineage. And such a person then is no longer regarded as an ordinary ignorant worldling, a putujan who is well deeply deeply engulfed by the mental defilements. But rather, such a person who has crossed over and who has become a stream enterer is one in whom three mental fetters have been uprooted or eradicated from the stream of consciousness once and forever. And a stream enterer is also said to be read or is said that he will be reborn at the most seven more times. Now more details on this. Now a stream enterer is said to be one who has entered the stream that leads irreversibly to Nibbana and so, you know, it is you know, the stream you know, that uh, the stream or the path you know, that consists of uh, the eightfold uh, noble path, as we've uh, you know, discussed it in you know, the previous uh, Dhamma talk uh, on the four noble truths. And um, you know, those uh, three you know, fetters are you know, those of uh, you know, well. Uh, wrongful belief in the existence of a self, Sakaya Deity, and then um, the fetter of uh, skeptical doubt, Wichikicha, and uh, lastly, you know, the fetter of, uh, wrongful, of wrongfully you know, believing in rites and rituals that these uh, can uh, lead uh, to uh, awakening. And we can express this eradication of certain 
uh, unwholesome qualities from you know, the mind also in different uh, terms uh, by uh, saying you know, that uh, with the experience of stream entry comes you know, the eradication of uh, you know, four of the um, of the mental defilements, namely wrong uh, two wrong views, namely you know, the you know, wrongful view and the belief of uh, or existence of a self. That one plus you know, the you know, third fetter is also a view. You know, so the wrongful belief in uh, rites and rituals. Yeah, so these two mark uh, you know, the mental factor of wrong view, and then you know, doubt would be you know, the second you know, unwholesome mental factor f- you know, to you know, go. And you know, furthermore, the commentaries you know, say that uh, a stream entra also you know, has uprooted or in, in a stream entra. Yeah, there is no more uh, you know, envy and uh, avarice. Now, with this experience of uh, stream entry, come another a number of other you know, qualities and certain uh, changes in one's life, and so, you know, so it is said, you know, for instance, that. Um, with this experience one gains, or with this experience one's you know, faith in the Buddha, Dhamma, and, sh- and the Sangha you know, then becomes totally shaken or unshakable. Uh, it becomes unshakable, uh, quite uh, correct. And uh, a further you know, point you know, that you know, uh, is relevant in you know, the connection of uh, the stream intra is and that such a person will no longer go into or will no longer be reborn in a state of uh, loss. And thus his uh, destiny is uh, assured. Now, with ordinary human beings, the future destiny is not sure. Um, we, depending on the um, deeds that we have performed, wholesome or unwholesome, depending on those, you know, will we reap karmic results, known in the Pani scriptural language as vipaka. And so, you know, so if our now, deeds are more on the unwholesome side, and then it might uh, uh, well happen that we end up uh, in a state of loss. Um, but in the case of a stream entrant, you know, this is no longer you know, possible. So what uh, all of this uh, then means, a certain assurance is there with regard to you know, to future existences. And uh, you know, this matters a lot you know, to those who have firmly you know, well, uh, accepted you know, this notion of uh, future uh, or life in a future you know, existence. And what this uh, experience of stream entry also you know, produces is uh, you know, that 
um, the other unwholesome you know, mental states or mental factors uh, you know, not mentioned, namely view, skeptical doubt, and uh, envy, and uh, jealousy, um, that those will be weakened you know, to an extent uh, that if one were to act on them, one could no longer perform uh, a deed that would otherwise lead you know, to uh, rebirth in a state of loss. So, maybe, uh, so to give you a practical example for this, with the first uh, attainment of, uh, um, of uh, mug of path consciousness, you know, anger, you know, the mental you know, factor of anger will still be there. And this gets uprooted totally only through the third level of attainment. So anger is still around. However, because of the first attainment, the anger will be somewhat weakened. So that one is no longer capable of getting, of getting into you know, really bad rage that might you know, result or that results uh, in an act of uh, uh, murder. No? So this simply you know, doesn't uh, happen anymore. And so, now the commentaries are saying, and you know, surely you will you know, point immediately to, you know, to the difference you know, with uh, what has been said early on about an arahant. The commentaries you know, say that uh, uh, a person who has gained uh, you know, stream entry will no longer violate you know, the five precepts. So it will, you know, a person's conduct you know, will be uh, marked by a scrupulous you know, behavior or scrupulous observance of you know, the five uh, precepts. So one you know, refrains you know, from taking life, you know, from you know, taking what is not given, you know, from any form of uh, uh, sexual misconduct, from false speech, and uh, from taking intoxicating you know, substances. Now, the texts also distinguish three cases of uh, a stream enter. One who you know, will be, at the most, be reborn seven more times, and, and, and namely in the human uh, and or you know, celestial world. And uh, uh, then as the second kind, you know, one, the so-called Golan Golan you know, Sotapana, uh, one who will be you know, reborn into you know, some you know, into good families, and so, you know, then uh, will be you know, reborn only two or, or three more times before gaining arahantship. And you know, the third kind of stream entry is a so-called Eka Biji you know, stream entry of Sotapana, you know, who will you know, reach you know, the goal. Uh, only in one more uh, rebirth, or, or who ha will have only one more uh, rebirth. So these are you know, some of the um, some you know, points that you know, that are mentioned you know, with regard to, to a stream engine. Now, in the to give you additional you know, textual you know, evidence. And some, in the Samyutta Nikaya, namely in the connected discourses of the Buddha, you know, under 
needs some mutant kind of five or or the fifty fifty you know, fifth you know, submuter there is uh, um, a collection of uh, you know, discourses on a stream entry and or stream entry and um, you know, there it says uh, that you know, this experience you know, brings about confirmed confidence in you know, in the Buddha in the Dhamma and in you know, the Sangha and other you know, virtues of a you know, stream enterer are given, as we've seen already, you know, that he or she, and I'll, I'm quoting again from you know, the Samyutta Nikaya, uh, possesses virtues dear to the noble ones, unbroken, untorn, unblemished, unmottled, freeing, praised by the wise, uh, ungrasped, leading to concentration, and so on. And it says also in you know, the Samyutta Nikaya, uh, the you know, 55th uh, Samyutta, uh, that uh, you know, stream entra dwells with a mind devoid of stinginess, you know, freely generous, uh, open-handed. Now, as mentioned already in one of the uh, previous uh, Dhamma talks, At, uh, the point, at the time of the Buddha, there were many requests you know, made to the Buddha that he enunciate you know, what happened to you know, such and such a person who had just uh, passed away. So people wanted to know, you know to which level of uh, nobility or sanctity the person had attained to and in which uh, realm he or she you know, was uh, reborn. Now, uh, since uh, many of these requests uh, were made, you know, the Buddha got tired of it and uh, he then came up with this discourse on uh, the mirror of uh, the Dhamma, the so-called uh, uh, Dhamma Dasa um, uh, Sutta. And the uh, reference uh, for this again is from the 55th uh, Samyutta and uh, there in section 357. And Basically, you know, what uh, are you know, mentioned there are just uh, you know, the four points uh, given to you earlier on. You know, so, unshakable confidence in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, plus the spotless uh, virtue. Now, similar to you know, the Buddha, the you know, Venerable Mahasi side of Myanmar. Uh, faced a similar, or faced uh, yeah, faced a similar you know, dilemma. Um, 
you know, a batch of meditators would uh, undergo the intensive meditation you know, at you know, the Masi Meditation Center in Burma, and so, you know, then after you know, after a while, you know, these meditators had you know, progressed nicely and you know, nicely developed their meditation practice, and so, you know, then you know, they you know, would want you know, to know whether you know, the Dhamma had been seen by them or not. And so, so apparently in the beginning days, you know, the Venerable Masi Sayadaw uh, gave um, the so-called Nyan Zen talk, uh, a talk on the, you know, on the progress of insight in the Burmese language, and this talk would take about four and a half hours. So you can imagine with every batch going through this poor or, or venerable, most venerable, Masi Saido had to you know, set four and a half hours aside and explain you know, to you know, each and every group you know, how you know, a meditator goes you know, through the different insight knowledges, what one you know, commonly experiences, and then you know, for them to decide whether you know, they had or, or how far you know, you know, they had uh, you know, developed their meditation practice and you know, whether you know, maybe the Dhamma had been seen or not seen. Eventually, as you know, the Venerable Masi Saito got you know, tired or exhausted you know, with this, as some you know, people you know, proposed that, uh, well, a recording of uh, <laughs> a tape recording, you know, be audio recording, be made of the whole thing, and this is then you know, what happened. And uh, later, you know, generations of meditators you know, were then given you know, the so-called Nyanzin uh, tapes or progress of insight tapes to you know, listen to, and for them then you know, to you know, make up their mind you know, uh, whether they had gained uh, the Dhamma or not. And on certain occasions, uh, you know, meditators were asked to listen to those uh, you know, to this tape talk, uh, not necessarily you know, as an uh, as a confirmation of uh, what had happened in, in their meditation practice or of a possible attainment, but rather you know, to you know, maybe. Um, show a person that still something was certainly lacking in the, the meditation practice. So the very fact that the person is listening to these tapes you know, doesn't uh, really mean all you know, that much. It can be interpreted in either way. Now, the Venerable Sayadaw Pandita, as Sotna mentioned already you know, the other night, no, well, he will not come to any firm conclusion you know, when it comes to you know, the possible attainment of a meditator of you know, the path of stream entry. And so instead, you know, the Venerable you know, will simply observe you know, this meditator you know, for a span of seven years and observe the person, how he or she is doing, you know, um, with regard to, to sila or virtue. Is this person really virtuous in conduct or not? Or is it uh, that you know, the person is, uh, uh, well, maybe 
thinking, thinking or claiming to have gained the Dhamma, and then you know, does the, you know, you know, the person maybe you know, go and you know, you know, drink a glass of wine or a glass of beer. And so, um, if a meditator you know, really over a longer period of time is quite or is virtuous in his or her conduct, and then this would speak you know, to you know, or speak for a possible uh, gaining of uh, the Dhamma. But one should be very you know, careful you know, you know, with any kind of firm you know, decision. These are all very, you know, very you know, refined uh, matters. And so, uh, it's also in this context good to know, you know that there are certain you know, mental you know, factors that might you know, bring about an, an experience that uh, seems like or that looks like uh, um, you know, an attainment of uh, you know, the Dhamma you know, when they are not. In such mental states, you know, it could be sloth and torpor, and could be you know, then also tranquility, uh, concentration and uh, equanimity and restlessness is also uh, mentioned. Now, when a meditator has practiced intensively over a longer period of time and uh, something unusual has happened in the practice, naturally the person will want to know more about it and what happened in my practice. Did really something happen or not? And so, therefore, certain criteria for the verification of the experience are needed. And some of those are the following. Namely, a meditator as well as a meditation teacher should check very carefully whether the person has gone and experienced you know, all of the insight knowledges. Maybe with the exception of one of the Dukkanyanas out of three. So if one experiences one of them, uh, one or two of them, um, then this is good enough. But of course, ideally, it would be better to experience all three of them. And certainly so, a rather you know, systematic development of one's practice and certainly you know, gradually going you know, through those insight knowledges. And so experiencing them not just in a superficial manner, but uh, uh, with some amount of uh, depth. Then the next uh, you know, thing to be checked is whether a meditator has really gone you know, through you know, what is uh, you know, through a series of uh, moments of very particular moments of uh, consciousness that are connected uh, with path knowledge. So there's a so-called cognitive series you know, for you know, path and fruition knowledge, which is very different from ordinary you know, types of uh, cognitive uh, from cognitive uh, process. And so if the major you know, points are there, then you know, this certainly uh, would speak you know, for, uh, uh, for an attainment. Then 
a meditator also needs to uh, check whether he or she uh, is certainly successful in what is known as um, the resolution practice or aditana practice. And there are, um, one can develop you know, the mind in you know, certain the ways, namely uh, to then go into a state of, uh, or to experience the state of Nibbana for a certain duration. And so one can furthermore train the mind in experiencing Nibbana frequently. And one could possibly train the mind in experiencing Nibbana as quickly or as me, as immediately as possible uh, within a city. Now, there are plenty of details uh, in the connection uh, with uh, these and uh, similar uh, practices, and uh, so uh, a meditation teacher has to carefully uh, see whether all those details are, uh, the relevant details are there or not there. And... When a meditator has indeed gained or seen the Dhamma and then after a while stops intensive practice, goes back to ordinary life, and then after maybe a couple of months decides to do another retreat, then the meditator as well as the teacher should well pay close attention to what is happening in the person's practice. And where does the meditator's practice start from? Does it start from scratch? Does it start from the very first insight knowledge? Or does it maybe start from a different place? Now, furthermore, um, one should carefully check whether any changes occurred in one's life or not. And if one is the same person as before, full of greed, full of hatred, full of ill will, or full of delusion and skeptical doubts and still holding on to wrong views, then most likely nothing happened. And so, um, then one should also pay attention to whether to the congruence of one's possible attainment with one's behavior. So if there's a major major discrepancy between what one claims to have gained in the Dhamma and one's actual behavior, then this would give rise to lots of doubt and justifying doubt. Now, sometimes um, meditators are under the impression that, uh, well, if one has uh, gained 
you know, path knowledge, you know, then this will immediately be followed by you know, two or three moments of fresh knowledge. And later on, there can be many more moments of you know, fresh knowledge. Then um, a meditator might easily mistake an, an experience of fruition you know, to be you know, the attainment of the next path. And the way this happens is uh, one you know, develops certainly one's practice so, you know, through what is known as the forerunner paths. And so one goes through the different insight knowledges and then you know, path knowledge actually takes place. Stream entry is gained and this then you know, is followed by you know, experiences of fruition parlor in the Pali scriptural language. And not being well informed, one then you know, thinks uh, when this pano occurs uh, you know, the second or third, or when it occurs the second time, uh, one you know, then thinks, oh, one has become uh, a, a once returner. And then when fruition occurs a third time, one you know, mistakes it you know, to be the third attainment, oh, uh, <laughs> one has become a non-returner. This retreat is really great. <laughs> and then, you know, and then, things get, you know, things might get even worse than this. And so, upon the fourth fruition experience, uh, you know, one might think, uh, uh, well, you know, done had, or, yeah, done has been you know, what had to be done. And so, you know, so these are, you know, this is an expression of, uh, you know, that is attributed to, uh, to the Arahants. And nothing is left uh, or nothing remains to, you know, to be done. And so, so what we have here is uh, a clear case of a wrong understanding. And so, you know, what really happens is you know, that you know, the experience of, or the fruition experience can occur many times, not just five times, but you know, hundreds, if not thousands, if not ten thousands of uh, times. It uh, just depends on whether one is developing this or uh, not. And so only after having um, done one's fruition practice properly you know, should one then uh, attempt to you know, go for you know, some deeper dhamma. Now, the Venerable Mahasisada reminds uh, the meditators who have possibly gained uh, some deep understanding uh, into the nature of Nibbana or the Dhamma in general that after the retreat they should not go around bragging or uh, boasting. And to relate a story to you, once in Lumbini, we had a, a, a meditator you know, who you know, came from one of the European countries without going into any further details. And uh, uh, her kind of thing was you know, during or after the Dhamma talk, like here we, had, you know, we have question and answer sessions in Lumbini. And uh, so then in one you know, 
you know, question. You know, she would phrase the question in such a way you know, as making it very clear you know, that uh, she thought she you know, had uh, uh, already gained uh, you know, the first uh, path. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, like my name is such and such, like you present a visiting card to a person and uh, then the name is mentioned there and underneath, Stream Andra Sotapana. <laughs> And so this is a no-no. And so what the Venerable Mahasi, what the Venerable Mahasi recommends is, namely, if friends or family ask you after retreat, well, you've striven very hard in the meditation practice, you've been away from home for a month or two, then what did you gain? And then your diplomatic answer could be something like, I have gained as much as I've made effort. And so this then leaves it up to the listener to come up with some conclusion. So, um, when the purpose of the meditation practice is, uh, especially after an intensive retreat and after a possible uh, attainment of uh, some dhamma, is uh, so is not to you know, go around bragging out of much pride and conceit, but is rather you know, to weaken this uh, same pride and conceit. So if we go into, if we get into this bragging and boasting, you know, then uh, we're definitely on the wrong path again. And so, you know, when it comes to Arahans, um, so the people who've uh, gained uh, full realization of the Dhamma, then um, they are very careful not to reveal their attainment because this may, in a a, traditionally Buddhist country, this may have tremendous consequences. Can you imagine what the consequences will be like? They get besieged. They'll be flooded with devotees who all come from far and near just wanting to see this special being. And so gone is their their freedom, gone is their silence and opportunity to practice. So it's actually rather dangerous. And so this then is uh, is about all for today. Let me conclude today's Dhamma talk by wishing may those of you who have not yet gained a direct understanding of Nibbana, may they do realize this Nibbana 
through um, well, undertaking you know, the Satipatthana meditation more and more, and uh, you know, those who possibly have uh, you know, gained uh, some insight into the Dhamma, you know, may they understand you know, that uh, something special has happened, and may it lead them you know, to you know, strive uh, you know, to you know, develop this further and to deepen you know, the Dhamma, uh, the understanding of the Dhamma further and further. And this is it for tonight. So, a few uh, questions. If you have questions, we I'll try to answer those. Yes. Victor. The third, you said that Satipatthana, the third person would be would be only a once returner. No, the third person is a non-returner. A non Oh, sorry. Oh, you mean? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So what's the difference in that and a and a once returner? Oh, the difference. Now, the difference is that with that first attainment, only three. You know, only those certain mental defilements, only a certain a very limited number of you know, defilements will be you know, uprooted. Whereas in the, you know, when uh, the attainment of uh, anagami, uh, maga takes place, then only you know, greed and hatred will be uprooted. This will happen, it will happen at a later point in the same existence. And no. Yes, Jackie. Oh, resolution practice, yes. How does that complement the Vipassana practice? Well, you just keep doing what you're doing already. But you incline the mind in a certain way. And then you see whether it's working or not. But more and more on this later on. You know, there's uh, for, for for the meditation practice. Uh, uh, there's a time for everything. One doesn't want to do or, or say too much in advance. Uh, no. So and then, yes, Jim. So, yeah, Jim, the answer is very simple. You know, the answer to the first question is as follows, namely, you know, there's a clear difference between a stream enter and an arahant. And so, in Theravada Buddhism speaks of four levels of uh, uh, attainment. 
and the lowest level is certainly that uh, you know, con- no, no, that of stream entry. You know, the second certain one is that you know, that of you know, once return. The third one is that of non-return, and the last one is that of arahanship. And uh, you know, so, with the uh, with the th- f- first level of stream entry. You know, three mental, three fetters that will be uprooted. Four you know, mental defilements will be uprooted. With the, the second level of attainment, uh, two mental factors, namely greed and uh, hatred, will be weakened, but not totally you know, uprooted. With the third level of attainment, uh, those same greed and uh, hatred will be uprooted entirely from the mind. And in terms of greed, it's the sensuous uh, greed that uh, that goes. And uh, then, with the attainment of arahanship, will be uprooted all of the remaining mental defilements. So you know, what you have here, you know, there's a huge difference between a stream enter and an, you know, uh, an arahant. An arahant is a, you know, a person who's um, you know, f- totally free from unwholesome you know, mental states. Whereas uh, in a stream enter, you know, a number of uh, you know, unwholesome mental states uh, still persist. Uh, no. And then as for you know, you know, your second question, in the, when we do you know, satipatthana you know, meditation, you know, then we don't even need to practice those jhanas at all. And uh, we just uh, we start right away, first day, we start with observation of rising, falling, pains and aches, and you know, different mental states. And we just take it from there. And uh, gradually you know, the mind gets purified of uh, you know, the unwholesome mental states, at least on a temporary basis, more and more. And so, you know, then when the necessary conditions are there, then you know, the stream entry takes place. And so, so jhana practice is not a must for this. It may be helpful, though. Uh, so you know, there are you know, meditators who prefer to you know, first practice uh, you know, the jhanas and uh, you know, thus to strengthen their concentration. And then, having done this, they switch to, you know, to vipassana. That's uh, you know, that's a way of doing it. But you know, to be very clear on this, by jhana practice itself or alone, you, know, you will not be able to attain any of those four levels of en- enlightenment. You know, so um, the it is mm-hmm. with regard to the. You know, third certain level of enlightenment. Mm, well, you know, wisdom is necessary, so you know, vipassana is necessary, and um, then some amount of uh, jhana practice is helpful. You no, know, and you know, to add, at the time of the Buddha, there were disciples, some of his disciples, who had never practiced you know, the jhanas and still. So it's a possibility, it's one way of doing it, but it's not the only way. This question is really relevant in light of the fact that in, in the West, particularly the forest refuge, there's just so many more opportunities we had, I guess, than probably anybody else. I know, I know. So,
skilled teacher is what should certainly be uh, deferred to in terms of uh, decisions about whether to, you know, go with the genres or practice concentration or whether to choose. I mean, how big is my responsibility here? Do I have to make, do I have to make these decisions in the absence of, oh, well, whatever you think is best? Uh, or maybe just with, the, oh, well, whatever you think is best, you know best type of thing, or should I really get more specific um, advice? Um, well, you could also take a closer look at how how short or long your life might be, and how much time you have, and so jhana practice will take take up a fair amount of time, and so that would be one consideration, and then another consideration is simply whether you're interested in in the jhana jhana practice at all or or not. And uh, some people take much interest in this, and uh, other, to others it's not all that appealing. You know, so this, uh, you know, this you can decide for yourself. And, uh, and so <laughs> See, the nature of the mind is such that it's extremely flexible. And it can be trained in many different ways. And uh, so you can train the mind you know, through you know, satipatthana, so the wisdom aspect, but you can also train the mind you know, through you know, the jhanas, as, you know, as you like. You know, whatever you know, task you, you know, put the, you know, you know, the mind to, it will do it. And so maybe to add, add one more thing. Uh, there's yet another uh, way, uh, a way of practice, um, namely of combining, combining those two, combining vipassana practice and samatha practice. So, but this requires um, proficiency in both. And so the way it works is that a meditator maybe. You know, first goes you know, goes into a jhana, and, uh, and then experiences the jhana, first jhana for you know, for a while, and uh, then comes out of the first jhana, and uh, then you know, uh, observes you know, the formations that are present in the body and in the mind uh, from the vipassana point of view. Does this for a while, then goes into the second jhana. And it experiences the second jhana for a while, then comes out of it, and then it again you know, submits you know, the experiences to, you know, to vipassana, and so on and so forth. So it's kind of you know, a coupling. It's a coupling of both of those. No. So, anything else? Yes. Huh? I thought I heard that, but she did not hear it. So I don't know if I did. No, 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 no. 
oh, and you know, one of the qualities of an arahant is you know, that um, all the you know, karmic forces, you know, the vipaka, is exhausted, and certainly with the physical death of the person ends you know, his or her you know, uh, life in or, or going through samsara, journey, journey through samsara. So it simply just exhausts itself. There's no more fuel for it. And a new rebirth is not possible. That's the Theravada point of view. So, Siddha, about the Agulimala, uh, he died in Arahant. So does it mean that his uh, karma was entirely erased? Or... No, it was as long as he gained, he became an arahant. He continued to live for some more time. He then, during that remaining time before physical death occurred, he still experienced lots of the consequences of his unwholesome deeds. So people threw rocks at him, and he was bleeding all over, and so he died with a pure mind. Yes, yes. Yes. So the imprints then, how does it look from a Theravadan perspective if, you know, say you're a spring enter or you're one returner or a non-returner, you, you, you would, there's enough fuel there for the aggregates to uh, reform. Yeah. Yes. Energy. Yes. That's and it. that just re- reconfigures somewhere in yeah. one way or another. Yes, right. Right. Uh, no. Okay. Who knows? I mean, how, how is it known? Uh, <laughs> 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 the Buddha knows. <laughs> Well, it's the Buddha. It's the Buddha with his omniscient, based on well, plenty, multitude of existences spent on perfecting those paramis, and then becoming becoming an enlightened being, gaining omniscient knowledge. And so, you know, with all and with his omniscient knowledge, uh, he you know, then uh, made these statements. And modern sciences, as we're finding, you know, are proving a number of these points more and more and more so. You mean well, not necessarily about arahants, but uh, you know, for instance, the way the mind works and so on. Some basic you know, tenets of uh, you know, Buddhism are being uh, verified. Uh, no. Okay, maybe this much for tonight.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.